Hey, we are in Genesis chapter 41, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 41. And, uh, and we're blessed to have Pastor and his wife from North Car Carolina today. Why don't you welcome them? Yeah. Special surprise for us. How great is that? And uh, listen, it's a, it's a lot to read today, but I, I want to read it because it is the culmination of everything we've been walking through in Joseph's life. So <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to airdrop right into this moment, and I'll give you the context later. So the Bible says in verse 9 of chapter 41, Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there. What's his name? Joseph, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened he restored me to my office. And he, that is Pharaoh, hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Some of you just got hungry. Then behold, I mean, Pharaoh's got some weird dreams. I'll just tell you straight right now. You think your dreams are weird. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. So we've got some carnivorous cows that Pharaoh's dreaming of. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they'd eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. I mean, that would wake you up. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, his priests, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Uh, by the way, God can do that because God knows everything, in case you didn't know. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will, be, will deplete, excuse me, the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. And you think Joseph has someone in mind here? 
Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that they, the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Let me just say right here, God can change everything in a day. God can change it all in a day. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain, a little bling for Joseph, around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out. Just, just picture this from Joseph's perspective, right? From the prison... To, to prime minister. Yeah. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Father God, we give you praise today, for we believe with all of our hearts that the same sovereignty and providence that you worked in Joseph's life, God, you work in our life today. You are the unchanging God, and you have loved us with an everlasting love. Father, teach us. Teach us to not only acknowledge your sovereignty and providence with our lips, but to anchor our hearts to it. May every soul be, be anchored today to your faithful plan that you are working out in every single circumstance in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Listen, I'm going to say something to you today, and it's going to give you an idea of how old I am. And, uh, and, and you know, I expected more engagement from the first service because they're the older service. So, so some of you might get what I'm talking about. When I was growing up, one way that we entertained ourselves is we would, we would get those 500 to 1,000 piece puzzles, right? They came in a box. You guys know what I'm talking about? They came in a box, and it was like a family affair. You'd set up the cardboard table, and everyone would gather around, and there was a process that we would go through. Uh, we would take the, the, the box, we would open it up, we would dump out the puzzle pieces, uh, then we would, we would get them all flattened on the table, and we would turn them right side up because, you know, you had to have the image facing up. And then we would, you guys know, somebody give me, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, look, all right, we, we got some old folk here. Thank you so much. Then we would take the, 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 the picture, the ultimate picture that we were aiming for, which was normally on the cover of the box, we would set it in a centralized location, and then we would sort out, you see how it rolled in my family, now you know why I am the way I am, okay? And then we would sort out the puzzle pieces based on their color and how they associated to that picture. Like, you had to have the picture. And the picture helped you understand where all those puzzle pieces ultimately would go. Now, can you imagine if somebody said to you, hey, listen, uh, we're going to have you do this 1,000-piece puzzle, and, uh, you know, you can dump all the contents out, you can place all the puzzle pieces on the right side up, but we're not going to give you the picture. We're not going to give you the final picture of what this is supposed to look like. You just have to figure out where all these pieces go. 
Now, if someone did that, you would know those puzzle pieces by themselves without the final picture would make no sense, right? And, and just let me tell you, sometimes I feel like life is like that, right. right? I mean, don't get me wrong today. Romans 8.28 is clear. We know what the final picture is. We're shaped into the image of Jesus. But there are circumstances that God has orchestrated in our lives, and they're working towards something in this present life that God hasn't fully disclosed to us, right? And so sometimes we're in the place where it's like, man, we have these events, we have these circumstances, we don't know what the final picture is, and because we don't know the final picture, sometimes we're confused. Sometimes we don't know how it fits. Sometimes the circumstances and situations in our life don't seem to make sense to us. And that's when we have to anchor ourselves to the sovereignty and the providence of God. Listen, this was Joseph's life. Joseph went through a series of unexplainable events up to this point, like we've gone through the, the many details, thinking about his betrayal, thinking about how his, his brothers wanted to murder him, and then they thought, well, we're not going to get any money out of that, so why don't we sell him? And then, of course, he ends up in Egypt. He's in He's in Potiphar's house. He is accused of attempted rape, which he didn't do. He's, he's thrown into prison, and it doesn't get any easier from that point on. He's placed in the king's prison. It's a, a prison of political prisoners. So those individuals that, that probably have compromised the king in some way. And while he's in prison, God even gives him influence there. You know, Joseph never stopped being faithful to God. We're gonna talk about this in a minute even when he didn't understand the circumstances of his life. And so he's in prison. God is giving him influence. He's actually placed over everybody in the prison. And then all of a sudden, there are two prisoners that Pharaoh sends into this prison. And they have, they have dreams on the same night. And these dreams are extraordinary. They wake up the next day, and they discover that there is somebody in the prison who can interpret dreams. Well, the butler has a dream of a vine with three branches and, and beautiful blossoms and clusters of, of grapes. And then the baker has a dream of three baskets that are on his head filled with baked goods that the birds come and nest in and eat. And Joseph says, hey, listen, the interpretation belongs to God. Let me tell you what God is going to do. He looks at the butler and he says, hey, in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. Pharaoh is going to restore you. Your dream, in fact, is a good thing, and God is going to, God's going to bring it to pass. He is going to restore you to your previous position. And then he looked at the baker, and he said, hey, your dream, well, it means this. In three days, uh, Pharaoh's going to lift off your head. He's not going to lift it up. He's going to lift it off, and the birds of the air are going to eat the flesh of your body. Thank you so much for coming today. I mean, he was faithful even in the midst of the, the difficult news. And so he looked at the butler and he said, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Remember, when, remember me when you stand before Pharaoh and tell him that I'm an innocent man. Well, of course, the butler went back and he forgot, he forgot Joseph. I mean, it was divine amnesia, I would say, because God was doing something. God was working. God was not yet ready for Joseph to, to come to that place of influence as the prime minister of Egypt. No, it wasn't until Pharaoh, some two years later, he himself had dreams, these dreams, and they were disturbing dreams. He looked to his magicians, he looked to his priests. No one 
could give him the interpretation of the dreams. And the butler who was next to Pharaoh as his cupbearer said, man, I remember my faults this day. I remember my faults. And by the way, this wasn't just some random circumstance that enabled him to remember. It was God bringing to his remembrance because God was working his plan. He said, I remember my faults this day. There was a young Hebrew boy in the prison and he interpreted our dreams and they came to pass just as he said. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph like we read. He, he cleans up, he shaves, he gets a new set of clothes, and there he is standing before Pharaoh. Now, I just want you to just think about how in that moment it all came together for Joseph, right? We're talking 14 years, 14 years of adversity, 14 years of victimization, 14 years of dealing with difficulty and feeling forgotten forgotten by your family, and maybe there were even moments where he felt forgotten by God, and now, listen, the picture's becoming clear, and he can say, God, this was what you were doing. This is what you had intended all along. Listen, it was an experience of the sovereignty of God in Joseph's life, and I want to submit to you today that Joseph always consistently had anchored himself to the sovereignty and the providence of God. I don't think he ever lost sight. I want to tell you today that as Christians, we place our faith in God's sovereignty and his providence over our lives. Is that true for you today? Have you anchored yourself to the sovereignty of God? Well, you might be thinking today, what is the sovereignty of God? When I say sovereignty, I simply mean that God reigns over, right? Same letters in the word, just rearranged. Sovereignty means that God reigns over. Everything is under the dominion of God. Everything is under the authority of God. All things are subject to the power of God. There is nothing that is outside of his control or his dominion. God is absolutely sovereign in all things. The providence of God means that in God's sovereignty, he is wisely and graciously guiding our lives to fulfill his purposes. Do you believe that today? Yeah? Do you? Because sometimes, listen, sometimes I think we can ascend to the theological truth. We can say, hey, yeah, you know what, I do believe in the sovereignty of God. But, you know, it's not just, it's not just acknowledging the theological reality. It's also saying, and you know what, I trust that God is providentially ruling over my life. In other words, he is wisely guiding every single detail of my life. There is nothing that's missed by God. Like, you can't walk away from Joseph's life story and conclude that there are things that God just misses. There are things that God just doesn't know. In fact, I want to tell you today, your commitment to anchor yourself to the sovereignty and providence of God is going to hugely impact how you experience him. Look, there are four things today that I see in Joseph's life that I want to draw your attention to that I think uh, really do lead us to a fuller experience of God in our lives as we anchor ourselves to his sovereignty. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. God's sovereignty is a reason for us to be faithful. God's sovereignty is a reason for our faithfulness. It's, it's a reason, it compels us. Because we know that all the different pieces in our life actually do make sense and are working towards something, it compels us to be faithful. I just want you to think about all the pieces in, in Joseph's life. <clears throat> Joseph had to be a dreamer. He had to be an interpreter of dreams. 
He had to be an administrator and a manager. He had to be in Egypt. He had to be purchased by Potiphar. He had to serve inside Potiphar's house. He had to end up in Pharaoh's prison. Pharaoh had to send people who were close to him to this particular prison. Those prisoners had to have dreams. Joseph had to be present to interpret their dreams. The interpretation had to come to pass. Joseph had to be forgotten by the butler. Pharaoh, I know this sounds like a clue game right now. Joseph had to be forgotten by the butler. Pharaoh had to have a dream that shook him to his core. His dream couldn't have been interpreted by the priest. The butler in that moment just had to have happened to remember Joseph and the interpretation that he brought to him. And Pharaoh had to be compelled to call a political prisoner who was a nobody. Pharaoh had to be compelled to call a political prisoner who was a, a nobody into his court. And Joseph had to stand before the ruler of the superpower of the world and interpret his dreams. Listen, all of those things, right, they are events like links in a chain, and all of them had to come to pass. Now, today you might be in an argumentative mood, and you might be thinking, well, listen, that's just a list of arbitrary circumstances that just happen to take place. You know, those are just random circumstances that, that ended up leading Joseph to the court of Pharaoh and I always say to you, Joseph didn't stand before Pharaoh because of a series of circumstances. He stood before Pharaoh because God guided him there. God placed him there. It was the plan of God. And so because you like to argue with me, you're like, well then, pastor, are you saying to me that, that all of that sin that happened to Joseph, all the victimization that God caused that sin? And I say back to you, arguer, this morning, God doesn't sin God does not sin, nor does he cause people to sin. God does not entice or tempt people to sin. James chapter 1 verse 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. You say, well, how do we reconcile the reality of sin in the world and the sovereignty of God? And I say, I have no idea. God bless you. Have a great day. No, I'm not going to say that. This is, this is what I want to say to you. God permits, God permits human actions and activity, including sin. He permits it. And still, because our God is so amazing, he works all those things together to fulfill his eternal purposes. Man, he's awesome. He is an awesome God. He is an awesome God. Listen, that, that means for you personally, that means for you personally that the circumstances in your life aren't working against you, they're working for you because God is working in them, right? Do you believe that today? Man, there are issues in your life as you've been pursuing God that just don't seem to make sense and they're really difficult and you're wondering where God is and you think maybe God is taking his hands off the wheel. I wanna remind you today as challenging as they may be, as dark as the moment may feel, that those circumstances are actually working for your good because God is present in the midst of them and he is working them if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, right? If you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Because that promise belongs only to those who have believed in Jesus. And today, if you haven't yet taken that step of faith, we're gonna give you an opportunity at the end of this service to, to make sure you can leave this place with the assurance of not only everlasting life, but God's providential care over you. 
So as a teacher, I just want to tell you that there are times where, you know, I have the privilege of expressing to you just beautiful theological truths that, that some, sometimes provoke the people of God to say amen. But I want to say to you, it's different. There's a difference between saying amen to the sovereignty of God and actually having your heart anchored to the sovereignty of God. How can we know? How can we know? Because, you know, we can affirm it with our lips. We can even get excited about it. But how do we really know whether or not we've anchored ourselves to the sovereignty of God? I, I would say to you today, I want to submit to you that Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's activity, jo Joseph doing what God had set before him expressed his conviction that God was sovereign. In fact, I think Joseph probably would say it like this, I don't stop working because God doesn't stop working. Right? I don't stop working. I don't stop being faithful. Why do I not stop being faithful? Because God is, is always faithful to me. He's always faithful to me. God never lets me down. God is in the midst of every circumstance and even the ones that bring great adversity. And so I want to encourage you today because maybe your heart has been discouraged. Maybe there are a series of circumstances and events in your life, and as you look at them, they feel like pieces that just don't fit together, and you can't even fathom. You can't fathom where the hand of God is in all of this. And I want to say to you today, in that place, demonstrate how your heart is anchored to the sovereignty and the providence of God by being faithful with what he has set before you. We don't give up when it doesn't make sense. We don't give up when things seem to be working against us. I'll just tell you personally as a pastor, there's that kind of stuff in my life all the time. All the time. There are, God consistently and regularly has me in a place where I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense to me, God. But I know it makes sense to you. And, and let me just tell you, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, this is just so good. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who what? Yeah, why don't, you, why don't, why don't we read that last phrase again and then everyone can say it out loud. We're going to start with the word who. And I want you to say it like you believe it today, all right? Starting with who. Ready? One, two, three. Who works all things according to the counsel. Oh, you need to meditate on that. You, you need to meditate on that. You need to meditate on it. You need to let it sink in because this is, listen, as a, as a, as a shepherd, as pastors, this is what we deal with in people's lives all the time. I want you just to think that through. Listen, God is always working it. The Bible says it, you can quote it. God is always working it. What is he always working? He's working all things, everything. There's not a single thing that doesn't fit within that context. And he works it according, not to your advice, not to your input, because you know that's what we want a lot of times. It's like, okay, God, I want you working, but this is the way I want you working. And, and here's your instructions, and this is the way you should do it. And he's like, thanks for the advice. Thanks, thanks for the advice. No, the, the, the triune Godhead, right, according to the counsel of his will, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have conspired together to create a plan for your life. And it is, it is so much better. It is so much better than any plan you could ever create yourself. Yeah, it's true. 
Listen, when we, when we really truly are anchored to the sovereignty of God, it compels us to be faithful. The second thing today, if you are taking notes, is this. God's sovereignty brings us opportunities to exalt him. God's sovereignty brings us opportunities to exalt him. I just, you know, this is my opinion, but I think Joseph was ready for this moment. I think Joseph was ready for this moment because he was anchored in the sovereignty and the providence of God. His heart was prepared. I mean, we know that this isn't the first time he has said to somebody, hey, it's not in me, it's God. He said it to the butler and to the baker. This was a consistent theme in Joseph's life because he was always expecting God to do something. And so when he was lifted up into this moment, his heart was ready for it because he was anchored to the sovereignty of God. And he was able to say to Pharaoh, this is such a big deal, it's not in me, it's God, right? It's God. I just want you to understand from a, a spiritual perspective where Joseph is standing. He is making a declaration of monotheism in the midst of total polytheism, right? That's, wh that's where he's at. This isn't just about his influence and his exaltation. It was never about his exaltation. But understand, he is in the midst of a, a culture that believes in a pantheon of gods. And then not only that, but they have exalted themselves as the culture they perceive to be the most connected to God. This is the middle kingdom of Egypt. The, the pyramids have been built. The sphinxes have been established. There was this idea that Pharaoh himself was God incarnate. They, from their perspective, thought there is no culture closer to God than we are. And so the irony of the leader of the world's superpower militarily and religiously having to call on a prisoner from his jail is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's like God's got such a great sense of humor. Man, dude, you think you're all that? You think you're all that rolling in your chariot? Well, let me tell you something. You're, you, you don't know nothing, right? You don't know anything, and you're going to have to call on a Hebrew. Hey, we already talked about Potiphar's wife. And remember, we, we didn't really deal with this, but when she accused her husband of putting her in a bad situation, part of that accusation was, you brought a Hebrew. You brought a Hebrew. There was this cultural disdain for Hebrews. And so Pharaoh's in this spot where it's like, man, not only is he pulling out a prisoner from his jail, but, but more than that, he's a Hebrew. And Joseph gets the moment. Joseph gets the moment because Joseph was expecting God to do something great. Do you live with that anticipation? Do you live with that anticipation? That God is always on the verge, that God is always on the precipice. Don't get me wrong, he is always doing something great, but greater things than even these that we see. Joseph was expecting this. He was ready. You know he was ready because consider the counsel that he gave to Pharaoh. He's like, I got an idea. I got an idea, you need to pick a wise guy who knows how to manage, who knows how to administrate, and you know, he's not just, just self-promoting, he understands that God has made him for this moment. God has made him for this moment. God had concealed Joseph for a period of time, and now God was bringing him forth and lifting him up so that he could be a light in the midst of a nation that was walking in darkness. Now listen, I want to tell you today, sometimes God will do this in your life. God will keep you concealed, right? God will keep you in a place where, you know, and, and so often there are times where we're just praying, God, use me. God, use me. God, give me influence. God, open doors. God, do something great. And then sometimes the opposite happens. And you know what? We're concealed. We're in a, a period of time of waiting. 
and we don't understand what it is that God is doing because we've prayed and we've asked for all these things. We're like that seed, right? The farmer plants a seed in, deep into the soil. And, and as he is watering, he is waiting and he is knowing that underneath the soil, the seed is germinating, the shell is dying, the, the, the shoots are taking root, and, and God is orienting that seed so it's ultimately pointed in the right direction, right? Because plants don't grow downward, they grow upward. And God does the same thing in your life and in my life when we are in a moment of obscurity. In a moment of obscurity, maybe... Maybe those dreams haven't come to pass. Maybe in some way we're being concealed. Maybe our spiritual gifts aren't being used in the capacity that we desire. But listen, God is doing in our lives what he does with that seed. We're dying to the flesh. I'm just going to say to you, Joseph needed 13 years of obscurity so his character could be prepared for this moment. I think if God would have done this like right away, Joseph would have blown up. Right? God prepared him in the prison. God prepared him in the prison. It had to be that road for Joseph because his heart had to be in the right place when he went from the prison to the prime minister. God knows what he's doing. Not only that, but listen, it's in that place of obscurity and concealment that the foundation is established in your life. God teaches you to grow roots deep into him, to be a man or a woman of faith to be able to handle the adversity. Because I'll tell you, you pray for influence and you pray for bounty and you pray for God to bring it. But you also need to realize that there's a whole other side of, of, of adversity that comes with the blessing. And God wants you to be well-rooted. And not only that, he wants you to be pointed in the right direction. Right, the, the, the adversity, the concealment, oftentimes it keeps us pointed in the right direction because the prosperity and influence that God brings is not to exalt you or me, is to exalt him. Is to exalt him. And I just wonder, I, I wonder if Joseph, if he hadn't have gone through this process, if he wouldn't have said, hey, hey, Pharaoh, no problem, man. I've interpreted a lot of dreams. I've preached a lot of messages. I've used my gifts in pretty powerful ways. People are swayed by my influence. I wonder if he wouldn't have gone through the adversity if he wouldn't have leaned into this moment as an opportunity for self-promotion. Listen, don't despise the day of small things, right? God knows what he's doing in your life. Hey, the third thing today, if you're taking notes, is this. God's sovereignty comforts us in calamity. God's sovereignty comforts us in calamity. I'd said to you just a minute ago that, that really from a spiritual perspective, there was this bright light of monotheism the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now shining in a very decadent, dark culture. But that really wasn't the ultimate purpose. It for sure is one that God had, because you know God can multitask. God can do more than one thing at a time. But what was he really doing? God was, God was preserving a little nation. God was preserving Jacob and his household. Listen, during this famine, it wasn't only Egypt as a nation that was going to go through it. It was also all of the surrounding area, including the land of Canaan, including Jacob and all of his sons. I'll tell you right now, the world's superpower wasn't thinking of Jacob and all of his sons as a, a, a need to preserve and to protect, but, but God had his eye on them. 
God has his eye on them. Listen, this was all a big setup to demonstrate God's preserving power. God was demonstrating that he, he knows the storms that are coming in life. He knew the storm that was coming, and God also knew how to preserve and to protect his people. Listen, the sovereignty of God brings us so much in life. You know, for some of us today, we're all afraid about what hasn't happened yet, and we can think of all of the different possibilities, right? We can multitask in that. We can think of all the different possibilities, most of which will never come to pass, and we can allow the fear of the unknown to rule our hearts. Some of us today, you know, there are a series of things that we are afraid that they're going to happen, and you know what? It consumes us. It chains us. It becomes a prison of our own making because we've lost sight of the sovereignty of God. When you're anchored to the sovereignty of God, you don't fear the future because you know the one who holds the future in his hands. God's got it. God's got it. And then, and then like I said, anchoring yourself to the sovereignty of God in your present helps you understand, listen, I don't need, I don't need to know God. I don't, wait, let me say that, let me say that differently. You do need to know God. But when you're, what you're saying to him is, God, I don't need to know. I don't, it, it is a need to know basis. And God, the truth is, I don't see where this peace fits, but I don't need you to explain yourself to me. I don't need to be in a place where it's like, I'm not moving forward until you give me an explanation because you're God and I'm not and I'm all right with that. And I trust you, I trust you in my present because God, you are sovereign and you are wisely and with care orchestrating the circumstances of my life. And I can say that solidly in the present because as I look back, I can see God, your faithfulness in everything that you've done. Listen, everything that you've done. Everything that you've allowed, everything that you've allowed, this is the lens, right, that Joseph was seeing his life through. And because he saw his life through this lens, years later, as he's reunited with his brothers that wanted to murder him, that ultimately betrayed him, as he's reunited with them, he says this to them, and it's just so powerful, Genesis chapter 45, verse 7. He says, and God sent me. Now, I just want you to think about that, right, after all of it. After all of it, how he could have been embittered and angry, how he could have misused his authority and power to destroy them, and it would be like, hey, look, you guys deserve this. I mean, what, what, what do you expect? But instead, because he's a man who is anchored to the sovereignty, the providence of God, he says, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and a ruler through all, throughout all the land of Egypt. So, oh, it's good. It's good. Look, some of you today, you need that comfort. You need that comfort. There's stuff in the past that, you know what, you still struggle with. And, and maybe you're deeply embittered by it. And maybe it's like legitimate victimization. There's stuff in your present that you just don't know how it fits. And then as you're looking forward, you're like all concerned and worried. And I say to you today, anchor yourself to the sovereignty of God. And let the sovereignty of God bring comfort to your life. You can look back and say, you know what, God, it is all in your hands. You waste nothing. I can be transparent and authentic about how that hurt. But God, you can even use the hurt for good. You know, sometimes God will allow us to suffer for the sake of others. 
Sometimes God will allow us to suffer for the sake of others. And this is the depth of Joseph's commitment to the sovereignty of God. To be in a place where he was able to say, you know what, there was a lot of suffering, but God allowed it for your sakes. And I'm all right with it. I'm all right. I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it because God is good. Listen, the final thing today is this. God's sovereignty always points to Jesus. The sovereignty of God always points to Jesus. You know, we'd make a huge mistake today. It'd be a huge mistake if we just ended this time in God's word thinking that ultimately it's all about us because it is not. It is not all about us. It is about the Lord. You know, Jesus is the ultimate Joseph. Joseph's name, depending on who you ask, either means God adds or God increases or God gives. And they all really do mean the same thing. But I land on most, what most, most Hebrew scholars land on, that his name means God gives. And I'll tell you, in that regard, Jesus is the ultimate Joseph because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Jesus is the ultimate expression of how God loves us and how he is willing to give to us, for us. You know, today we're obviously celebrating. I'm getting there. <laughs> you're good, you're good. Hey, look, the truth is this, sometimes I need help, all right? And Sonia, I'll take that as help. I, a couple weeks ago, I couldn't come up with the word, and someone came up after the service and was like, Pastor, was this the word? And I'm like, dude, why didn't you like, yell it out? I mean, you left me hanging there. Where's the love? Where's the love? So listen, Mount of Olives, right? This is Jesus, and the triumphal entry, as Pastor Brandon had mentioned, we're commemorating it because it begins the Passion Week of Christ. And, and as Pastor Brandon mentioned, there he is on the top of the Mount of Olives. Uh, this was a day that had been, been prophetically calculated according to Daniel the very day. This is, this is why they said from Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. Hey, that is true for every day, but it was especially true for this day. Because God had laid the day out that Messiah would declare himself to the Jewish people. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so he makes his way down the Mount of Olives. He ascends up onto the Temple Mount. And the Bible says, as you harmonize the events together, that he just looked. He looked at what was happening on the Temple. And he looked with, uh, it's an interesting word that's used in the Greek. Um, it means to scan with, a, with an intent to judge and so he comes back on Monday. I'm not going to give you all the events, but as he comes back on Monday, the Bible says he cleanses the temple for the second time. Listen, when he, when he was standing on the temple mount on that Sunday and he was looking, he, he had already warned the people, look, you need, to, you need to get three years earlier. One of the first things he did was this is wrong. You have made the house of God nothing more than a business that you make money off of. And, 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 and the scripture says that the house of God will be called a house of prayer for many nations, and yet you have made it a den of thieves. He gave them three years to get it straight. And he came back, they had not gotten it straight, he cleansed the temple the second time. And then the next day on, on Tuesday, he's again on the Temple Mount after having cleansed the temple of the money changers, 
He's on the Temple Mount, and he's teaching, and he is healing, and there's a beautiful outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. Just one thing that comes to my mind right now, that whole incident with the widow who gave her might that no one recognized, and he pointed her out to his disciples. Did you see that? I say to you that what she just did was more than all those who went before her. And and it was in that moment that he dealt with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Herodians who tried to undermine him for the very last time. And he answered their questions so brilliantly, the Bible says they dared not ask him any more questions, all right? You're not smarter than Jesus, let me just tell you right now. And then, then of course, Wednesday, uh, there seems to be no recorded events. On Thursday night, he is with his disciples in the upper room, and they're celebrating the Passover together. He's instituting the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. And you know how the story rolls out there. He washes the feet of his disciples, including Judas, and then they're gathered around the table. And, and John, the disciple who loved the Lord, was leaning his head, because this is how they reclined around the table, John was leaning his head against the breast of Christ. I mean, I just think, man, listening to the very heartbeat of God, how amazing would that have been? And then, uh, then of course, you remember it was in that moment that he disclosed to John that it was someone who dipped in the sop with him that would betray him. And so Judas did, and he told Judas to go and do what he had planned to do, and Judas left that dinner, and he went and he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, And then, of course, you remember Jesus, he speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, He talks about how he is going to go and prepare a place for his disciples. They they celebrate not only Passover, but the fulfillment of Passover. Some 1,400 Passovers from Exodus chapter 12 to this very moment, all foreshadowing every single year the lamb that would ultimately be slain for the sin of the world. He is our Passover lamb. And so he instituted, he instituted holy communion. The Bible says they sang a praise, a praise, song of praise to God, and they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane through the Kidron Valley. He called Peter, James, and John close to be with him, and he prayed in that garden three times if there was any way for God to allow the cup to pass, right? You remember that. And then he always closed that prayer off with, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And the pressure, the pressure, the spiritual pressure that was upon him was so great, the Bible says that he literally began to perspire, as it were, great drops of blood. And then as he makes that final prayer, you remember Judas comes with the temple guard, and they arrest Jesus. They drag him to the court of Caiaphas and Annas. They spit on him, they mock him, they deride him, they question him, they cover him with a sheet, they beat him, and they say, if you're a prophet, prophesy to us now, who is smiting you, who is hitting you? They take him from there and they drag him to the court of Pilate very early in the morning. Pilate's wife had warned him, have nothing to do with this man. Pilate thought there was a way of escape by sending him to Herod, who was also in the city at the time, celebrating the Passover. And so Jesus is dragged all the way over. You think about everything that he endured on that evening. He's dragged all the way over to where the priests live, the wealthy section of the city of Jerusalem, and there he's interrogated again. And Herod treats him like, you know, he's a circus performer. Perform some miracle for me. I've, I've always wanted to see you do something. And yet, of course, you, he's God. 
He's, got, he's not going to perform for Herod, and he's not going to perform for you either. Don't treat him like a circus performer. And so then, of course, you remember he is, he's, he's abused by Herod's guard. He's taken back to Pilate, and Pilate washes his hands of Jesus. By the way, you can't wash your hands of Jesus. And he says to the, he says to the people, I want nothing to do with this. The people say, his blood be upon us and our children. And you remember, Pilate has him scourged. The crown of thorns is beat down upon his head. He takes the patibulum and he carries it out to Calvary, quails under the weight of it, and Simon the Cyrene, Simon from Libya, modern-day Libya, is compelled to carry that 100-pound crossbeam. And he's nailed to the cross. He's nailed to the cross. He suffered for you and for me, he suffered for the sake of others. And every single detail of the life of Christ brought him to this moment. We're reminded today that he had to be humbled and made in the likeness of men. He had to be rejected by the leaders. He had to be numbered with the transgressors. He had to be betrayed by a friend. He had to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He had to be scourged. He had to be crucified so that he would be resurrected, so that he would ascend and be exalted to the very right hand of God so that he would be praised and so that you would be saved. And that is good news. That is good news. Stand, stand with me today. Listen, I, I think the, the picture on my mind this morning is, and I just want you to catch this, all right? So, and I ended a little early, so I still got you. The picture on my mind today of our gathering, it goes something like this. All of us stand here as believers in Jesus Christ, anchored to the sovereignty and the providence of God. And so, so during a time of worship, this is what we're declaring to him. God, thank you. Thank you for how you rule and reign over every single detail in, in this universe. Right? There's nothing that's outside of your dominion. Thank you, God, today that I worship a God that is almighty, all-powerful. There is nothing that you can't do. Thank you, God, that you are a God who superintends. And not just in that huge macro sense over all of the universe, but, but God, your providential care means that in every single detail of my life, you are wisely and graciously guiding me so that ultimately I am fulfilling the purpose that you have for me. Because God, as I put my trust and faith in you, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for my advancement. I'm not living for my influence I'm not living in relationship with you just so you can add to me, God, it's your will. I say with your son, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I want to thank you and I want to praise you today for how faithful you have been to me, how good you have been to me. Listen, that comes out of your mouth as a song of praise to the Lord. And then collectively, all of that, they're like streams that feed into rivers, that feed into tributaries, that cause this place to be an ocean of praise to God. That's what's happening when we worship God together. We collectively with one voice. Look, one day we're going to stand before him in heaven and everything that he has done in our life is going to be for his glory, right? And we're going to take our crowns and we're going to cast them at his feet. All blessing, glory, honor, and praise be unto the Lord.
Let's pray together. And Father, thank you. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you that we can look back and through the lens of your providential care and God, our hearts can be comforted. We can be at peace. For God, there's not a single thing that, that you can't use, even the difficulty, God. You take our ashes and you make something beautiful out of them. God, you take our mourning and you turn it into dancing. And today we, we just want to anchor ourselves to you and to your plan and to your care. This morning as our eyes are closed and as our heads are bowed, maybe this morning you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You've never lived with this total certainty that the details of your life are being orchestrated by God. No, in fact, you've been living with the opposite. There's a deep concern. You know that there's something missing in your life. Every place you search for peace, it's an illusion. You try to grasp those things that the world provides, but they never provide substantial peace into your life today. Today, the Prince of Peace is calling you. He's calling you, and he, he knows you. He knows your name. He knows the circumstances of your life, and he has brought you to this place, just like Joseph was brought before Pharaoh and his court. It's no accident that you are present today to hear the good news of the love of God through Jesus, his son. God himself is reaching his hand out to you, calling you to come to him in faith. Will you believe today? Will you trust in Christ today? Will you open the door of your heart to him? And will you let the king of glory come in? You've been made by him, but you've also been made for him, for relationship. And so today, Today, if you need to put your trust and faith in Christ, believing in the sacrifice that he made for all of us so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can be reconciled in relationship to God, so that you can experience the loving kindness and tender mercies of God in your life. Right where you're standing today, I want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you, would you raise your hand if this is you? You'd say, you know what, Derek, that's me. I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to believe. I want to trust in the sacrifice that he has made for me. Stretch your hand up right now so I can see who you are. Awesome. Thank you so much for raising your hand over here on my left. Thank you over here on my right. I see your hand. I see your hand as well. Right here in the center. Thank God. I thank God for you. Anybody else? Man, there's a tugging on your heart today. Maybe it was a friend or a family member who brought you. Ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit. And today, don't leave this place. Don't leave this place unreconciled to God. God will receive you just as you are. If there's anybody else, stretch your hand up high. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. 
today maybe as a Christian, let me just say it like this. Maybe your heart has just been overwhelmed and anxious and fearful and and honestly today it's just true you've not really anchored yourself to the sovereignty and the providence of God and and there are chains that have begun to bind you chains of fear maybe maybe chains of bitterness even as you look at your past and the adversity that you've walked through it's it's because you've not seen it through the lens of the sovereignty of God, there's, there's unforgiveness. Maybe today for you, there's just an overwhelming sense of anxiety as you're dealing with things that you don't understand. Christian, today you need to anchor yourself. You need to anchor yourself to what the Bible says. That God is working in your life in every single circumstance and detail. And so today... If you need a, a point in time to re-anchor, I'm not saying you've never done this before, but today you need to re-anchor yourself. You need to leave this place not just acknowledging the theological reality, but you need to make it a reality in your own life. You need to come back to a place of faithfulness. Because maybe you've been so discouraged, you know what, you've just taken your hands off the whole thing. And you've thought, man, why? Why, why would I even, if God's not, then why would I and that type of thinking needs to end right here, right now. And so today, if this is you, stretch your hand up high. I want to lead you in prayer. Thank you so much. And you, and you, and you. And I see your hands over here on my right. God bless all of you in the back on the right. You be honest to God today. There's a special experience that he has for you today because we are in his presence. Anybody else? All right. Put your hands down. Father, thank you. God, we bless your name today for the sweet work of your spirit in our lives. We pray today, God, that each of these whose hearts are turned to you, God, knowing that you know every single detail, we ask that you would work in an exceedingly abundant way in their lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen. Yeah, it's good. Thank God. Thank the Lord. Today as we wrap up our service, and we've got some time here today, so don't think about leaving right now. But for those of you who I prayed for, it's good for, for people to pray for you. But you know, God wants you to pray. There's one mediator between man and God. It's not the pastor. It's not the church. It's Jesus Christ. And God wants you to make confession. God wants you to pour out your heart. God wants you to look to his sovereignty and his providence, and he wants you to, to anchor yourself to it. And so today, Pastor Tony is going to lead us in a song, and I want to invite all of you who raised your hand to come down so I can lead you in prayer. Maybe you're putting your trust and faith in Christ for the very first time. Listen, this is the most amazing and important step of faith you will ever make in your life. And then in addition to that, if you're a Christian here and you need to re-anchor yourself to God's sovereignty, don't stay, don't stay where you're standing. Make your way down here so you have a point to look back to and you can remind yourself, that was the day I anchored myself to the providence of God. So God bless you. Awesome. Make your way down so I can lead you in prayer. Hey, let's, let's bow our heads together. and I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. Listen, this is a beautiful, sacred moment 
This is not a religious ritual. This is not a hoop you're jumping through because God loves you and God loves to hear your heart as you pray to him. And I'm gonna lead you just in a very simple prayer today. And I wanna encourage you, we're gonna be praying according to God's word and we're gonna be praying according to the truth of the gospel. And God has bound himself to fulfill the promises that come to you through faith in the gospel. So you can pray with great anticipation today and expectation that God is doing something very special in your life right now. So I, I wanna encourage you, you can just pray this prayer out loud after me. God, thank you for loving me. And today I humble myself before you. I acknowledge that you are God. I'm turning from my unbelief and I'm turning from my sin and I'm trusting in your son. And I receive your forgiveness and your grace, and your mercy, and your love, and your healing, and your power. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.